job, Brother Good God. Thanks for leading us in prayer. Uh, friends, it's so good to be able to open God's word together. Let's, let's turn our attention there. If you have a Bible, please open to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to be continuing the sermon series through what we're calling Church Foundations. And that as you open your Bibles there, I'm going to pray that God would just speak through his word to us and remind us of the glorious truths that Jesus has rescued us and made us new. And, and so uh, I'll pray, and as you flip there in your Bible with your eyes closed, good luck.
across the world with the good news that Jesus is our Savior. So that is our church's vision. Uh, last week, we talked about baptism being an important element of what the church does. And so we've kind of brought to the table a couple of different definitions that are really helpful to us. And so I'll remind you of them this morning. Uh, first and foremost, the church is made up of Christians. And Christians are people who have responded to the good news of Jesus, that he has died in our place for our sin, that he was buried, and three days later he rose from the grave. And we've responded to that good work of Jesus in repentance and in faith. So we've turned from our sin, and we have trusted in Jesus to make us right with God. Because the Bible tells us that we're separated from God in and of ourselves. Our works do not line up in such a way that we can stand in a right way with him. So Jesus makes a way for us to be right with God. And so Christians are people who have responded to Jesus' work in repentance and faith. And our second definition is what it means to be a local church. And so a local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather together to do three things. First, to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim that good news that Jesus has come. Second, we affirm one another by the ordinances. That is baptism, what we're going to talk about this morning, the Lord's Supper. And then third, we exist as the local church to live together as the family of God. So this is what it means for us to be Christians, to respond to the good news of Jesus and live lives that glorify him, and for us to be the church to proclaim the gospel, to affirm one another by the ordinances, and to live together as God's family. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the second thing. In that definition of the local church, to affirm one another by the ordinances. So last week we said baptism was one of the ways that we confirm that people have responded to the good news of Jesus. It's the initiating oath. It is the public declaration that people have put their faith in the Lord Jesus. So uh, we specifically said that our church believes in what we call believers' baptism. We don't baptize infants. We baptize people who have responded to the good news of the Lord Jesus and. That is an act of the church and an act of the individual to proclaim the gospel. And today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11 and talk about the Lord's Supper. And so the thing I picked for this morning's sermon is this, that the Lord's Supper is the church's act of communion with Christ and each other of commemorating Christ's death by partaking of bread and wine, even grape juice, and a believer's act of receiving Christ's benefits and renewing his or her commitment to Christ and his people, thereby making the church one body and marking it off from the world. This is a good definition of the Lord's Supper. It is an act of the church where we together remember Jesus and what he has done through his death, and it's the act of a believer in which we receive the benefits of Christ and renew our commitment to him and his people to live as the church marked off from the world. So let's briefly look. Our, our main text for this morning is going to be from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. So it says this. This is God's word this morning. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for better or for worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe in part. For there must be factions among you, Order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. But when you come together, is not the Lord's Supper that you eat? 
bread eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things, and I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord for us the church this morning. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And so the Lord's Supper is an act of the church, and it's an act of the individual. But before we really start to unpack what Paul has instructed for the local church here in 1 Corinthians 11, I wanted to give you a biblical theology of how the Lord's Supper has come into existence. And so you probably noticed this morning that our scripture reading was from Exodus 12, right? Good job, Caleb. That was a mouthful. Yeah, in the Old Testament, you cannot be full of some fun words, right? Uh, and so we read from Exodus 12, which is actually the passage that describes what we call the Passover meal. And so the nation of Israel, as they were enslaved by Egypt, was told and instructed by God to, to celebrate this meal and then to take the lamb that was slaughtered for the meal and its blood and put it on its doorposts and take the lentils and mark those on the doors as well. Because the Lord was going to bring his final plague against the nation of Egypt to show uh, Pharaoh that he was God. And so this, this plague was called the plague of the firstborn. And so every Israelite, they took the blood of the lamb, they covered their doorposts, and the angel of the Lord came through the city and he killed every firstborn child, except for those that were marked off by God. And so the Passover meal is a, a meal that helps the people of Israel to remember God passing over them and uh, being in their favor so that they were not condemned and killed. Okay, so that's what happens uh, in Exodus chapter 12. And, and throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we saw in the, the instructions of, of Exodus 12 that this was a meal for the nation to continue to practice together. Every year, they would come together to, to celebrate the Passover meal, to remember the Lord's act of kindness to them. But not just his kindness to them, but also his wrath for sin, and his wrath for the disobedience of Pharaoh. And, and so the Lord had given Pharaoh plenty of opportunities to respond to his work and his move, and Pharaoh continued to have a hardened heart. And this was in the Lord's sovereignty and in his goodness. He, 
He recognized that he would harden Pharaoh's heart to rescue his people. And so the people celebrated the fact that they had been covered for, they had been atoned for, they had been watched over, they had been passed over. So they remembered this meal again and again. And then if we fast forward to the New Testament in Luke 22, we actually get to see Jesus celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples. And as he takes his Passover meal, and as the nation is celebrating the fact that the Lord has passed over them and he has atoned for their sin, Jesus uses this meal as an illustration to his disciples. And so he has the twelve gathered in the room, and he tells them that shortly he's going to die. That he is going to die uh, through the hands of the Romans and through the hands of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And in that meal, he takes bread, and he breaks it, and he shows them, and he says, this is my body, which will be broken for you. So as you gather, as you remember, as you come together and eat this meal, remember what it is that I have done for you. He's, he's telling them what's going to happen. And then he takes the cup, and he tells them, there's a new covenant that is coming. It's not a covenant that is marked by the law. It's a covenant that is marked by faith. And so, the Lord instructs the disciples, he says, the new covenant will come in my blood, and my blood will cover you. Take this cup and remember what I have spoken to you. So he gives them these instructions, and then ultimately, right after that meal, what we see in the narrative of Luke is that he is taken in a seclusion as he's praying and worshiping with the disciples. Judas then hands him over to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He goes to his death. He dies by humiliation on the cross. His body is broken. His blood is spilt to bring us forgiveness, to bring us reconciliation so that we can be made right with God. So we see in Exodus 12, the, the Passover meal that God would atone for the sins of the nation. In Luke 22, that Jesus would become the fulfillment of that Passover meal. That he would become the sacrifice of the Lamb who would be slain for the people to die for their sin and to make them right with God. And, and then here, our text in 1 Corinthians 11 helps us to see that Paul instructs the church to continue this practice. So it wasn't just a practice for the, the 12 disciples. As they went and made disciples, as they proclaimed the gospel, as people became Christians, this became a regular practice of the church. So there's all sorts of different views that exist on the Lord's Supper today. In fact, in the Protestant Reformation, the Lord's Supper was one of the most debated topics uh, for uh, the Catholic Church and for the Protestants. And I think I've mentioned this once or twice before, but I really think that the word Protestant is funny uh, because it means literally protester. So they were protesting Catholicism. I don't know if you maybe that, but take that little golden nugget, put it in your pocket, and enjoy it for later. Um, so the views that were in the Lord's Supper during the Protestant Reformation uh, are kind of all over the place. And so the Catholic Church believed in what we would call transubstantiation. Uh, that's a, a fun word, right? So in your law, you don't have to read that uh, in front of everybody every week. But uh, transubstantiation summed up with that, that view of the Lord's Supper is, is it's basically this, that the elements, the, the, the bread and the cup, actually become the blood and body of Christ. 
And so the Catholic Church was saying that they're basically as they took the Lord's Supper, and as the priest uh, was preparing the elements, that there was some sort of miraculous work in which those elements then again became the body and blood of Christ. And in fact, this was a, a reconfiguration, uh, a reenactment every time they took the Lord's Supper of Jesus having to die again for the sin of people. So they would recognize again and again, oh, okay, Jesus' death has to happen again in order to cover our sin. This is what they were practicing, transubstantiation. Then, then you have what I would call a Lutheran view of consubstantiation. Right? So trans, con. Uh, and so what Luther would say is that consubstantiation is that the elements don't actually become the physical body and blood of Christ, but that Christ's presence is real in the Lord's Supper. So he is present, he is there. But the elements don't become a miraculous thing. They're just bread and wine in the day. Like I said, gracious. Welcome. Uh, there's a third view. A third view of the Lord's Supper is what some people would avoid in transubstantiation, what they would avoid in consubstantiation, but try to emphasize that there is a spiritual reality that would happen in the Lord's Supper. So Christ is actually with us in the meal. He's not, uh, his presence isn't necessarily physical, but it is a spiritual reality in which we, we see the presence of Christ. And then there's going to be the fourth view, which I would propose, is the, the view of the Lord's Supper as a memorial, an act of remembering what Jesus has accomplished. This is a meal in which we act actively remember that Jesus broke his body and that he spilled his blood. And, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but recently there's been somebody within Christianity, somebody that has actually totally denied uh, the view of the Lord's Supper that he has held to for a number of years. His name is Francis Chance. If you ever read, or read anything by him, I used to read a few words by him. I really enjoyed some things that he'd done. But uh, recently he actually embraced Catholicism. He was somebody who had said, hey, I, I see the Lord's Supper as a memorial. And now he's saying, well, the Lord's Supper as a memorial only came into during the Protestant Reformation. And in fact, the church actually never did anything of preaching. They only practiced the Lord's Supper when they gathered together. And so Francis has run off the rails, you know, away from orthodoxy, and has embraced a, a theology that is not consistent with Scripture. Uh, and so uh, it's sad to see, uh, sad to, to hear about, but uh, nonetheless, it's a big, big story that uh, is coming through churches here in America today. So, uh, we pray that the Lord will be kind to him and help him to turn away from his view and embrace what the Bible says about the Lord's Supper and the role of the church. Preaching didn't come into existence in the 1500s, friends. Uh, in Ephesians 2, Paul said that the church is built on the foundation of the, the apostles and the prophets by the proclaimed word of God. And so teaching has existed, preaching has existed since the first century, since the beginning of the and we see that Jesus taught people again and again. Paul proclaimed the gospel. The only way that we could respond to the gospel, according to Romans 10, is if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, the only way that happens is if God sends someone to proclaim that word. And so the gospel is a word that we believe. It's a word that's proclaimed. And the scriptures are not just words that help us to feel better here and there. They're actually words that God has spoken for us to believe and live by. So... 
I'm back against this idea of preaching being something that came into the existence of the 1500s, and, and also we push back against it in the Lord's Supper. I, I think if we see the words of Jesus, as Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 11, he tells them, the bread and the cup do so in remembrance of me. This memorial view did not come into existence through the Protestant reformers. This memorial view actually comes directly from the mouth of Jesus. This is what he has spoken, this is what he has said. So, there's all sorts of different uh, ways that we see the Lord's Supper through the Bible, and we've seen it in the history of the church. And so, let's really unpack that definition this morning of the Lord's Supper. So, first and foremost, the Lord's Supper is an act of the church. It's an act for the gathered group of believers to remember Jesus. And so, see again, in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. As Paul writes to these Corinthians, he says, in the following instructions, I do not commend you. And so these are some sharp words right from Paul right off the get-go. He says, the way that you practice this is not commendable. It's dishonoring to the Lord. And so this church tells us in verses 18 through 12, he says, that when they come together, that there are divisions that exist amongst the people. They're divided. And so we actually see in the context of the Corinthians, Early on in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, uh, the people of the church were, were arguing over who was the better preacher. They, they liked Paul, some of them. Some of them liked Peter. Some of them really liked this eloquent guy named Apollos. And they continued to say, well, I follow this guy, and I follow that guy, and I follow him. And Paul writes to them and rebukes them and says, you don't follow us. We are just, we're just servants of the Lord. You follow the Lord. The Lord is the one who builds up his church. The Lord is the one who proclaims and sends people to preach the word. So he tells them the division existed over preachers. But the division also existed because in the Corinthian world, a lot of the, the secular people of race, those that did not believe in the gospel, they basically treated the Christians like they were outcasts. They were weird to the rest of the world. Anybody resonate with that this morning? And so they were treated like they were second class, and then they were basically cooking for cocoa puffs. So, as they tried to live for God, they faced this tension of do we honor God or do we fear man? And so they were hearing again and again, like 1 Corinthians 2, that this message of the gospel, that Jesus would die, that God would actually send his son to die for his people, was a message of foolishness. The wise scholars of the day, they could not embrace this. They couldn't even understand how God would be so powerful yet so foolish to die for people. But Paul says that's exactly where the power of the gospel is. Is that while we can't be made right with God, on our own doing, that God would make us right with him by dying for us. So they're divided over how do we live in this world and embrace what we believe? How do we live together as a church. We're, we're fighting about the division of who's the better preacher. We're fighting about views on food. We're fighting about views of marriage. And, you know, some of us are married to unbelievers, so maybe we should run away from our unbelieving spouses. And some of our kids are crazy. And there's even this guy that's, like, sleeping around with his mother-in-law. And, and the church is just full of all sorts of crazy, chaotic things. As Paul writes them, I mean, he, he confronts their division. He tells them, as you come together for the Lord's Supper... This is a meal in which you remember the unity of what Christ has accomplished in his sacrifice. 
there are factions among you in order that those who are genuine might be recognized. So Paul even sees in this division that God is working through the division to show who is genuine about following the Lord and being obedient to him. And he tells them in verse 20 that when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you need. In fact, in verse 21, some of you are just like peeking out. You're coming together and having this giant meal. And so when we think of the Lord's Supper, every month we gather together and we have like this nice little piece of gluten-free bread, right? And a nice little sip of, of grape juice. Now, the Lord's Supper was a meal for the early church. They celebrated this together. They came, they, they broke bread, friends. This is like better than a potluck, right? It's an organized meal, not a potluck, right? You never know if you're going to have mac and cheese. They didn't just have mac and cheese. It wasn't just appetizers. There was a meal. So they gathered together to celebrate a meal together to remember Jesus' instructions. He tells them that, you know, as some of them are picking out, another's getting hungry, and then somebody's abusing the wine. They're getting drunk. And Paul's just exclamation, verse 22, what? What are you doing? What are you thinking? He says, talking about houses to eat and drink in? And this is where his review gets really sharp. Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? When the church gathers together, it's not just to elevate those who feel like they have a superior standing in society. The church comes together unified under what Jesus has accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. In our sin, each one of us, whether we're superior in society or whether we're weak and poor, when we come together in Christ, we are now one in Him. So the, the meal, the Lord suffers that reminder that no matter whether you are superior or you're black or you're white or you have come from riches or you're poor, that in Jesus you come in His name. That you come under His identity. That in Christ as you've been made righteous, now your righteousness is not of your own doing, it is the righteousness of God. You stand on equal ground, each one of us. Our identity is no longer, hey, look at this guy that does this and works this way. Our identity is in Christ. So there's no superior, there's no Jew or Greek or barbarian or Scythian or slave or free, but all are in Christ and one in him. The that remembers that celebrates that is the church. Don't despise the church of God. Don't humiliate those who have nothing. <laughs> what should I say to you? Should I commend you this? No, I will not. And so what does it actually look like to take the Lord's Supper? This is where the instructions come in. in verse 22, 24, 25, 23, 24, 25. It says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So first and foremost, the instructions that Paul lays out for the Lord's Supper are not instructions that he has made up on his own. When we gather together for the Lord's Supper, these instructions come from Jesus. And Jesus has said there are a few things that are essential to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So the first is, is this, he says, that Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. He given thanks. He prayed. He thanked God for his provision. He broke it. He said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. So we're stepping along, we take bread together. We break it, we thank God. We remember what Jesus has done and break his body. Step two, the Lord's Supper. 
the same way he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. We take the cup. We thank God. We look to the new covenant by his blood that we are made right with God by faith through what Jesus has done in his sacrificial work, spilling his blood. We remember that we're covered by forgiveness and grace. Remember what Jesus has done this. And there's a few things that this signifies. In verse 26, it tells us that as often as we take this bread and as often as we drink of the cup, we together in this act are proclaiming something. We're proclaiming that Jesus' death accomplished what he set out for. We remember Jesus died for our sin. He was buried. This is, this is real. It's not just something that we make up in our imagination. This is really what the Son of God has accomplished. He is our redemption. Because he broke his body and he spilled his blood. So together, as we take those things, we proclaim that. So that act, it seems so simple, but it's a proclamation. It's not just taking an element and embracing it and eating it and enjoying it. It's actually proclaiming, Jesus, you have died for our sin. And verse 27, Paul starts to instruct them further. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Then verse 28, Let a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So as this is a meal that the church remembers, it's actually a meal that we also take as individuals. And as we look to the Lord's Supper as individuals, we have to come to the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. I think what Paul has written to the Philippians, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I am present or far from you, I may hear that you are glorifying God. And so our lives exist to glorify God, so we need to live in a manner that reflects the gospel, that embraces the gospel, that proclaims the gospel. And Paul must be writing in some sense, especially to this group telling them that some of you are doing this in a way that does not reflect who the Lord is, or what his gospel is. You're doing it in a manner that is unworthy. And so every month when we have this meal together, we have time of examination where we go to the Lord individually. In a corporate gathering, but individually. We go and we seek God. We look to him our sin. We confess that we need Him. Or that we're far off from Him. That in our brokenness we have selfishness. We think through ways that maybe we need reconciliation with God. So we examine our hearts. And verse 29 tells us that if we don't do this examination, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, discerning the way that the Lord is working, actually drinks judgment on himself. And really what we should be seeing in this picture here is the picture of the cup that represents in the supper that the blood of Jesus, as he takes us, as he embraces it, and drinks it, he drinks the wrath of God. And I think to the Lord praying in Gethsemane, Father, if there's any other way, your will be done, not mine. Jesus takes on our judgment for our sin on the cross. 
grace is that judgment, and we no longer have to drink that judgment. But if we come to the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, we now are keeping judgment, we're drinking judgment upon ourselves. That's what Paul says. It says that this is why many of you are weak and ill instead of God. Supper is a meal for those who believe and profess their belief. 
become then baptized, yet be baptized. Confess your faith, profess your faith in Christ. Gather together with the local church. Uh, who should lead it? Uh, the Bible doesn't necessarily put uh, a specific person behind this, but we would say that elders or pastors should be leading the Lord's sovereignty. As uh, official members that are called out by God and called out by a congregation to lead them spiritually, that the Lord's Supper should be uh, led by those that officially represent the church. And so there are some circumstances to face, right, in like church plants. Right? Uh, if, if you don't have an outbound pastor, but a small group of people started a new church and they're gathering together, then there should be somebody who would fit those qualifications of elders that would helpfully lead the church in the practice of the Lord's Supper. And there are other circumstances like what we have faced in our history, right? And so looking for a pastor that wasn't an official pastor for a period of time, but there were elders. So those elders are those who qualify to lead the Lord's Supper. So they help lead the people to the Lord's Supper. How should the Lord's Supper happen? It should happen in the whole gathering of the church. It's a meal for us to come together. And so uh, this isn't the opportunity to say, like, don't take the Lord's Supper on your own. Don't do that during the week by yourself. Take the Lord's Supper with gathered believers. Do that in a way to bring honor and glory to God. Make its meaning clear. Do it with clarity. Saying, hey, if you believe in Jesus, this is the meal for you. If you haven't, then let it pass by you. Make sure you give the elements, the bread and the cup. You don't have to look for your bread. You can have real bread. It's a celebration. <coughs> How often should you do it? Ooh, that's a great question. Jesus says, as often as you take it, so in remembrance of me. And so we as a church, we have to ask ourselves, what is biblical in how we take the Lord's Supper? And so right now we're doing that once a, once a month. So we're, we're doing that in the gathered context of, of the church. We're, we're celebrating that uh, as believers. So I think that that is biblically appropriate. I think Paul leaves some flexibility here. There are churches that are convinced that this means that every time they get together, they should take the Lord's Supper. And I say, amen to that. Uh, praise the Lord. As you do it, do so in remembrance of me. So that, that's awesome. Uh, I would say those that don't do it at least monthly might need to reconsider. Uh, if you do it quarterly, I think that might not really be helpful to the life of the church. It should be a regular practice in some sense. So I would say at, at, at a minimum monthly. That's not according to scripture. There's no prescribed method here, but there is some room for flexibility. And at least the idea here is that Jesus is saying that How should individuals approach this? This is really where the application comes in today, friends. As we come to the Lord's Supper, there are just four things that I think are really helpful for remembers who practice this together as a church. As individuals, first and foremost, as we take the Lord's Supper, look to the cross. Look to the cross. Look to what Jesus has done as he has died. He died for you. He spilled his blood for you. So that you would be made right with God. You were enemies and he's made you righteous. You were dead and now you've been made alive. So look again to the cross. Come back again to the cross. Some people think that maturity in the gospel means that you graduate out of believing the message of Jesus. But that is the furthest thing from the truth. You see maturity in the gospel by people who continually run to Jesus and say, I need what you have done for. I need to be reminded of that. I need to sing it. I need to pray it. I need to read it. I need to proclaim it. 
So individual church, look to the cross. The bread and the cup are reminders of what Jesus has done. He has died for you. Second, look around. As you take the elements, look around. You are not alone. This is a meal where you remember as a church that your brothers and sisters that gather with you week in and week out as they take these elements, they remember with you that Jesus is God. And so there might be moments in our faith where we feel like we're just totally wandering and totally falling flat on our faces, but there's a reminder in the Catholic Church that Jesus has accomplished his redemption for his people. So look around and embrace the fact that there are other believers and that you are not alone. But also look around and see that the Lord is working in other believers who aren't necessarily just like you. They might not have the theological training that you have. They might not have the same spiritual gift that you have. But God calls you to be part of a body. And so you need that arm. And you need those feet. And you need those other pieces because God has put you together to fulfill his calling of being the body of Christ. So we celebrate that people are different and that God has given them as a gift to this local body to proclaim that gospel. We're not alone. What a beautiful thing. Look around, friend, as you take the Lord's Supper. And praise God that he's bigger than just you. Embrace that. Third, look forward. Jesus said this is the new covenant in Luke as he actually writes to those disciples, as he instructs them, what Paul didn't include here is he says, later in Luke 22, Jesus tells the disciples, I will not take of this meal again until I come with the kingdom. Friends, Jesus is coming back. He's going to come back and make everything right again. There will be restoration. And we can celebrate that. We can wait. We can, uh, we can really go through pain right now knowing that the world is broken and that things aren't right. But we believe that the king will return. He will establish his kingdom and make it right. So look forward. Have your hope on God, knowing that you can't make it right, but he can, and that just by the speaking of his word, he can set the universe straight. This is the power of the king we believe in. So look forward. And at last, look inward. Look inward and recognize that you're alive. You're still this side of heaven, but there's still work to be done. There's still ways that I'm growing. I don't know why you're perfect. And I, I tell, you know, last week is like a perfect reminder. Every sermon is a perfect reminder of me that I am in process. <laughs> I don't have this perfect. But I pursue a perfect Savior. So I might still struggle with some areas of sin. <laughs> I can be imperfect. I don't always do the dishes. I don't know if that's like a godly characteristic. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I know I do think I think washing the dishes does help your productivity. I'll say that <laughs> it helps you exercise self control because those are the moments that I really <laughs> But looking inward, looking at sin and holding yourself accountable, saying, Jesus, you've made me new, I want to be made new continually. How can I continue to grow in you? And not necessarily in the sense of, like, I'm climbing all of these ladders to accomplish the goal, but you know, I'm, I'm running a race. I'm running the marathon. 
Each one of us run the marathon for the Lord. And so can we say from this month compared to last month that we trust him? Can we look back and say that the gift of putting our feet on the floor today is a work of God's mercy and goodness to us? Can we embrace the fact that, yeah, you know, we're not always right, we're sometimes selfish and wrong? Embrace that. Look inward. Look at your heart. Because if you don't, don't be condemned by the idea of taking the Lord's Supper down the Lord's way. But sometimes, friends, you need to hear this too. Don't be so hard on yourself that you forget grace. You forget God's goodness. Jesus didn't just die on the cross to remind us that we're horrible, miserable sinners. That is absolutely true. But if we wallow in sin, we continue to just look at our lives and say, look at how horrible and wretched I am. We'll embrace that identity in Christ. Embrace that forgiveness that we've received from the Lord. We're going to be some pretty miserable folks. Now, I love John when he says, we should mortify our sin, we should kill our sin. Or our sin will kill us. And I embrace that. That's, that's good theology.
God, some of us might still be in the business right now with you, but we, we come to you knowing that, that each one of us has a capability of running this That we, in our hearts, can be full of evil desires, full of anger, full of lust, full of pride, full of things that can separate us from you. God, we confess. We embrace.
Lord Jesus, you accomplished only what was necessary, what we could not accomplish, being made right with the Father, in the broken your body, the being mine now and for years. Church is the body of Christ for
reminded this morning of why I'm friends with this brother and why we're so close. I was very encouraged by the message this morning. Uh, what you did the job here in, in 2016 or 17? 18. 18. Yeah. Shows you my, my memory. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things that's really cool about Pastor Jordan and I is we kind of are going through the same things at the same times all the time. Uh, something that, that, that in our churches and in our personal lives it seems like. So, um, one of the things that were just happening in our church that just happened this morning was the celebration of two new elders. We're in the process of raising up a couple guys to be elders. Um, and that's uh, always a, an encouraging thing, but also a very challenging thing. The Bible says don't be haste to lay hands on people and make them elders. So we are trying to be patient with that and make sure that these men are men of character, um, that they rightfully apply the word of truth, and um, be a blessing not only to our church, but maybe eventually even to be sent out to plant other churches. That is the, the goal. And mission of our church is, uh, and I loved hearing the mission of the church here today, is to make disciples who can multiply the kingdom of God, who can make more disciples, lead other people to Christ, raise up other elders. So that's probably the biggest thing that's happening in our church right now. But um, something that, um, uh, well, uh, that's not necessarily true. Um, uh, we, we have a whole bunch of new families coming to. I guess that's important. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. So God is bringing the increase. God is the one who builds his church. Um, so we're encouraged by that. We're encouraged by the numerical growth. But we try to focus more on um, uh, growth that is both deep and wide. So in the sense that the, the church is growing in a, in a way that uh, they're growing in their knowledge of Christ, they're growing in their love for Christ, they're growing in their love for the church and the community with one another. Um, so that, that's something that's been happening too. But this year we're getting ready to uh, really try to raise money to either buy land and build the church building or to buy something that can be renovated. Uh, that's something you can keep us in prayer for. That's uh, a big, big undertaking. I'm not even sure I have a faith for that yet, but it's where we're at. And it's like, well, I guess that's what God wants us to do. Um, so uh, we do a banquet in May, which Pastor Jordan will be coming to. You guys are welcome to the whole church if you want to let us know. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be raising money for that, so keep us in prayer. But another thing that, as I said, Pastor Jordan and I, our, our lives are kind of linked together, that's happening in my life personally is my wife and I are expecting our first child. So, yeah. Um, you know, Jordan and us, we like, hey, man, uh, Rachel's pregnant. Really? Like, guess what? Rosemary's pregnant too. One month or a month and a half difference or something that's crazy. So, every time I get together with this, we have stuff to talk about. We're going the same things individually and as a church. So, it's really cool. Um, 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 uh, one of the things when I was coming up as a missionary uh, that I always was, uh, when a missionary would come to the church, or as a Christian, I should say, when a missionary would come to the church, I would love to hear a missionary speak, not necessarily because I thought God was going to call me into missions. But because I knew that I wanted to live my life for, for God. And one of my life verses is, is found in the book of Acts, Acts 20, 24, that says, But I count my life with no value to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. To me, even though that I was that that's my life verse, and, and obviously those were the Apostle Paul's words, that should be something that we all embrace. And um, that we would say, listen, whatever is going on here, whatever job, man, these things don't really have the eternal value in and of themselves, but they can all be used for the purposes of God, so that I may proclaim the gospel of God's grace. So uh, I hope that that's what you feel for me this morning. I hope that's what you felt in the message. That was, um, again, really encouraged, bro. I mean, the, 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 the message of, of the Lord's Supper. Um, so I want to leave you with this. As a visitor, and I am a visitor, 
Greek quote, but a verse you already quoted this morning from Philippians 1, uh, verse 27, that says this, just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of love, and then whether I come to see you or I'm absent, that will be me, right? Whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are living your life uh, together in, 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 with one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the faith that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. So even though I'm remaining, even though you guys are here, that's what I want to hear from Pastor Jordan when I am here, because I'm hearing great things, and I see a lot of new faces, so good to meet you all. Love you all. Thank you for supporting us and praying for us. Thankful for his co-pastor that helps him and leads uh, the church.